Hey, Jason, thanks for coming back on the channel. Really appreciate that. Hi, Sean. Uh, thanks for the invite. And how are you doing these days? Not bad, not bad. Just checking my hair. It's a bit of bad hair day, but oh, at least that's, still that's the worst I can say right now. <laughs> it's better you than your hair day. Can you just tell the viewers a little bit about you and your work and your mission? Gosh, my mission. Well, currently my mission, uh, and probably the last mission because I'm in my 50s now, is is very much land-based. So my current site, Landmade Man, is uh, has to do with me more or less retiring from writing and working on getting a, a community, a, a farm, and just a... Uh, basic living conditions for what I consider to be pretty much the end times. Uh, so these, the Kubrickon and the book that follows it, Big Mother, that are coming that's coming out this year also, uh, they were books I, I was not planning to publish, but my publisher asked for some links, so I provided it. And uh, they're probably the last books of this kind that I will write. And it's what I generally called mapping hell which is uh, exploring investigating researching and trying to make as coherent and as easy to comprehend as possible the organized malevolence in the world all the way back to the garden of eden really if you want to get metaphysical but my focus generally has been on the last century and on primary agents of social and cultural engineering uh, of very, you know, in various different areas from movies, cinema, to occultism, uh, spirituality, and in areas of ufology and general weirdness. All right, let's define Kubrickon for the viewers then. All right, well, Kubrickon, uh, <clears throat> Kubrickon is what I decided to call a very complex, uh, very far-reaching, long-term attention-slash-energy-harvesting construction that Stanley Kubrick, as I theorize, was central to and his work, uh, which has to do with the harvesting of human energy and attention and information through the Internet in order to feed and make operational an artificial intelligence program. This ties into exactly what we were just talking about earlier on with the first two guests. Do Gates and Elon Musk have a role in this? I'm sure that they do. I mean, and they're not two uh, humans being generous now that uh, I've done much research on. Um, and so they're not, I don't write about them in the Kubrickon. Uh, so yeah, I, I can't give you an informed answer there, but I mean, there's no doubt. Uh, that they're obviously very highly placed and highly influential and uh, I would say indisputably up to no good, although I know Elon Musk has become a kind of countercultural controlled opposition hero in the last <laughs> few months, but I'm not buying it. So did you focus on some big characters then in Kubrickon? Uh, well, just Kubrick. I mean, Kubrick once was a big character. I understand that probably many of your listeners, if they're the younger generation, might not even have heard of Stanley Kubrick. Uh, it doesn't necessarily matter, uh, although obviously the, the, the book is about him, but he was my... I mean, I've been interested in artificial intelligence uh, for a long time, at least since I wrote Matrix Warrior, which is about the matrix and this idea of creating a simulated reality and then trapping us in it 
obviously that movie is a very literalized version of that uh, but i would say that uh, not recommending that movie but that we are nearing something like the realization of that dark dystopian vision in the matrix, just not quite in the way that it was foreseen, that people are voluntar voluntarily entering into these pods where they're becoming more and more hardwired to technology and that their, both their attention and their energy is being harvested to create a more and more of a virtual, virtual newer sphere. Um, so, uh, I, I somehow discovered while looking into Kubrick and particularly the cult of Stanley Kubrick, which is this, uh, however large it is, it's hard to say, but this subculture of Kubrick um, exegesis and worshippers and fans and conspiracy theorists and occultists and psychedelic users and so on, parallel with the academia and the intelligentsia, which spent several decades raising Stanley Kubrick up to the highest plateau of social cultural influences, the greatest filmmaker who ever lived, TM. Parallel to that more mainstream thing, there's this subculture uh, of kind of cliche, uh, you would say the basement dwellers who are just on the internet 20 hours a day, uh, and watching his movies over and over again, looking for clues, they've helped to create what I say is a second matrix or as part of a second matrix that um, has given these movies a whole new depth of interest and influence and meaning and uh, in the process captured people's energy and attention. And so, yeah, many people will not have heard of Kubrick perhaps nowadays, but um, what I discovered, or at least I discovered enough evidence to make a thesis around, was that he was there at the very beginning, just as his career was ascending with 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, at the same time that DARPA was developing the internet as a military uh, tool, and that uh, this was also because, this, for obvious reasons, this was the time that they were first cybernetics and all of that, they were really looking into ways to use computers to uh, influence uh, public opinion, influence the outcome of elections. For example, there was a Simulmatics was an organization in the 60s that J.F. Kennedy was involved in, uh, and, or it was prior to his election even, that, that was using computers to harvest information about you know, American people and crunch it and apply it and all the rest of it. So long decades before Cambridge Analytica and the, now the well-known ways in which algorithms, etc., are being used in advanced stages of cybernetics to shape socio-political landscapes. Uh, this was beginning, uh, or at least it was becoming much more obviously historically observable in the 60s with DARPA and Simulmatics and other things. And Kubrick was right there. And uh, the artificial intelligence clearly is an extension of that, like the, uh, designing cybernetic programs and algorithms in order to uh, regulate society. Clearly the, the end game or the ultimate goal there is some sort of artificial intelligence program that becomes semi-autonomous. Now in 2001, a space odyssey, uh, probably most viewers will know, 
I'm sure you do, there's HAL, who's the artificial intelligence program that goes crazy, or Andor is programmed to be malevolent, whatever, uh, that kills all of the crew. And, and I think this was a realistic consideration, actually, for the people behind artificial intelligence. They don't want it to wipe out all of humanity. Maybe a large percentage we could get to that, but certainly not everybody and certainly not, you know, on its own initiative. So, I mean, I'm simplifying it, but there are, there is, it does indicate A, Kubrick was interested in artificial intelligence. B, he was aware of this problem, like how do you create a super intelligence that's going to regulate human affairs and make sure that it understands that human beings aren't an obstacle to its goals because they're unpredictable. Uh, and uh, C, if there's a C, he was very much involved with high levels of government and NASA, and, and we know that he was very well positioned and placed. So I kind of joined the dots in a semi, it's 100% experimental, but semi-playful. The book is serious, but it's also somewhat playful because I have to do a lot of speculating and it does end up a bit like a science fiction novel in some ways. But I found enough evidence to convince myself. Um, and so the, 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 the key to the thesis here is, is that how do you make an, uh, you know, a potential like the, the foundation of an artificial intelligence program how do you imbue it with some sort of with human awareness or some semblance of autonomy uh, that uh, also allows for something like an understanding of what human subjectivity is? So it's not just completely blind to that. And the answer I came up with was that you generate a specific kind of information which is 100% subjective. It's not merely facts. Uh, it's actually people's personal subjective emotional expressions and interests. And of course, Facebook and all these social media is very much that. It's not really fact-based. It's just people's subjective expressions. And the Kubrickon is um, an example of this that I try to lay out in terms of Kubrick movies and the obsession that they generate. That, that creates an, this kind of vast body of individuals who are watching the movies, gathering data, uh, arranging the data and then putting it into the internet uh, in this very subjective, very passionate way. And uh, I just use that as an example, really, of a way in which uh, a, a, a key cultural figure, a body of work, the movies, the uh, machinery, the computer structure of the internet, plus the audience can be all... Uh, hooked together in a sequence, the end of which is some semblance of artificial intelligence. What were the biggest revelations in this data, Jason? Uh, well, it depends what kind of revelations. I mean, people have different criteria for revelatory. So uh, I wasn't particularly surprised to find out that how well-placed Stanley Kubrick was in terms of uh, who he knew during the beginnings of his career, the kind of assistance and support he got from a very early uh, age or a very early stage in his career, like how his films were reviewed and praised even before anyone really knew about them, uh, who who raised money for him, the kind of uh, circles he was uh, running in. And then um, as his career progressed, with something like a clockwork orange, uh, the links to intelligence operations there with the book clockwork orange, because 
Anthony Burgess was linked to MI6. So there's an awful lot of that kind of data, including the obvious around 2001 the Space Odyssey. Prior, a couple of years prior to that, I have documentation about how he was on a short list of filmmakers who were to be approached for recruitment in some sort of government propaganda that isn't named. Uh, and then all of the evidence that 2001 was part of a concerted propaganda effort to promote space travel. So whatever Kubrick fans think about him or the movie, there's no doubt that the funding and NASA's cooperation was nothing to do with trying to create a, a work of art and everything to do with a uh, propaganda campaign to promote the idea of space travel, not necessarily primarily to make it happen, although of course the moon landing was staged or whatever soon after that, but at the very least to raise all kinds of money uh, from companies that were promoting it, like it was an, an enormous uh, industrial push just to, uh, you know, create stocks and investment and all that. So 2001 was very central to that, and that's the fact that few people know. Uh, so those are the sort of the more mundane or the profane revelations. The other ones, maybe I, it would be harder to sum up, uh, so maybe I won't try, but they're more to do with the, the subtler aspects of what Kubrick was involved in and the chain, the, the way in which uh, not just his movies so much, but the way they were used and the uh, the technology that has in the subsequent decades pretty much taken over the world, how much it's, it's changed human consciousness in ways that we can't, we're not necessarily able to observe it. Um, because, of course, it's where the lobster's in the pot. It's happening to us, and the very tools and instrumentalities we're trying to observe this thing with, like fish in water, have been shaped by the thing that we're trying to observe. So it's one of the problems that I have generally with the books I write, is to try to show something that's been internalized and people have become unconscious of it. But specifically with the Kubrickon, like one of the first hurdles for the Kubrickon is... If you love Stanley Kubrick, you think he's a great filmmaker, then my thesis is you have been culturally uh, manipulated, uh, propagandized, uh, hypnotized to have that belief. And of course, there's going to be a lot of resistance to that. Just as if you imagine that you were to enter into a cult and try and free the members of that cult by describing to them the way in which they've been brainwashed, you're not going to receive a warm welcome, number one. And number two, you, you, you may not have any uh, effect on them because uh, they can't actually see the thing you're trying to show them. So it, it is a challenge. I'm always happy when I speak to somebody who doesn't like Kubrick or, or hasn't heard of him because it makes my work much easier. Um, but anyway, it's just an example. I mean, all of my work really is about cultural indoctrination and how deep it goes. As I say, it, it begins even before we're born. Essentially, it's so pervasive. Um, and how to undo it? How do we uh, deprogram ourselves when we've been, you know, from from the womb onward, we've been constantly bombarded with these cultural indoctrinating implants and influences that, that have, on the one hand, deeply traumatized us, and on the other hand, provided us with these dissociative fantasy and self-medicating distractions 
to not experience the trauma. Uh, it's it's like trying to get junkies off heroin you know, who don't even know that they're addicted. Let me just tell the viewers then, we're talking about Stanley Kubrick with Jason Horsley. If you've got any questions, put them in the chat, wherever you are watching this world, whatever platform, chat or comments, we will get them up on the screen here. And Jason, you mentioned about the moon landing being staged. What was Kubrick's role in that? Yeah, I wasn't sure what word to use. I don't know for a fact that it was staged. Uh, I don't know what you think about it, Sean, or if you've done shows about it. I, I, I have simply um, been convinced by the uh, re other researchers, such as Dave McGowan, and there was a recent documentary, I think it was three or four hours long, um, where a bunch of photographers, which is t entirely neutral, were just asked to look at the photographs supposedly of the moon landing and comment on them. And they more or less consistently, these professional photographers were saying, well, this is impossible. The shadow here is wrong. And this is, they were pointing out all these flaws. They weren't conspiracy theorists. They were just photographers. Well, at least if you, if you believe the context of the documentary. So th there's, there's a vast body of evidence I would say that was, has convinced me that at the very least the footage is fake. Doesn't mean that it didn't happen, but so that's that's a separate issue. But the Kubrick fake the moon landing. My theory on that is is rather liminal. It's it's kind of in between because I I do think it, that footage was faked, but I don't think that Kubrick had anything to do with it. And uh, one of the reasons I don't think so is because if you look at that footage, it's really not very convincing. We, we, we're kind of trained to just believe it and not question. But if you do just look at it with a skeptical eye, it actually looks quite obviously fake, I think, compared to 2001, which looks very realistic. So why didn't, you know, why didn't Kubrick do a better job? Well, uh, leaving that question aside, I do, I do have the theory or the suspicion that although Kubrick probably, in my view, didn't have anything to do with filming it, I do suspect that he had something to do with generating the idea that he filmed the moon landing and that this this is part of the Kubrickon thesis that Kubrick was consciously complicit with creating a mythology around him that would eventually include a mythology that's more not just in the film community like he's mythologically great as a filmmaker but in this internet YouTube community which has these conspiracy, occult kind of myths around the guy, you know, all kinds of, I mean, if you start on down that rabbit hole, you'll never come out of it. But they, <laughs> they do include, obviously, the moon landing. And uh, that has the same function I've been talking about. It generates this obsession and endless material going into the internet of all these theories about how Kubrick faked the moon landing. So it's, it's, it's more complicated than people realize. Next question is from Keith Marshall. What did they cut out of Eyes Wide Shut? Well, I, I have no reason to believe that idea that, that it was edited. Uh, see, this is this is a sort of question from a Kubrick fan, I would say, or at least a Kubrick conspiratainment, uh, who, you know, who dares to who subscribes to those kind of theories. Because um, at least the academic, the official history about Eyes Wide Shut, which doesn't really, I mean, there's nothing to imply just because it's official that it's part of a cover-up because it's a kind of separate area of film criticism. Anyway, their, their 
point of view or the official point of view, it doesn't include anything about it being taken away. And as, as far as I know, Sidney Pollack added that. And uh, while well, there was digital, you know, censoring and obscuring uh, naked bodies and things, but my perspective on Eyes Wide Shut is as similar to the moon landing, that the idea that Kubrick was a whistleblower um, exposing secrets of the pedophile elite, that idea is like the idea that he faked the moon landing. That's part of the creating the second matrix myth around Kubrick. I don't believe for a second that he was a whistleblower. I see nothing in Eyes Wide Shut, uh, even the line that it was edited, that really suggests any kind of serious whistleblowing going on because we have countless movies that expose these kind of things and it doesn't, it doesn't make a bit bit of difference like this isn't it just doesn't really add up in my view uh so yeah i have a very different take on eyes wide shut which i won't get into because i think the questions keep coming or are still coming yeah there's there's a few fred wants to know does jason see the media saturation of ai stories as significant uh i'm not sure what he means by that do you know what he means does he mean news stories about ai or... yes Yes. Well, for sure. I mean, I haven't really been following them, but don't we have this rudimentary, I would say it's a red herring imitation of AI on the, on the internet now, which will, you you know, you put in a question and it will answer your question or, or write you an essay. Do you know what that thing is called? It's been oh. doing the rounds recently. Um, so for sure. Someone told, I mean, me, the, someone told me about it recently. Uh, it, it writes a book. Does It can write a book for you. Yes, and the interesting thing about this, not to get too sidetracked, but it's a woke, it's a woke AI program because if you ask it about Donald Trump, it will say, I'm, I'm, I won't, I'm not going to answer this question because I don't want to feed it. I don't know exactly, but it refuses to do that. If you ask it about white people, uh, it, it, will, it will, anyway, I won't go into the specifics, but it has an ideological basis to it, uh, that particular program. So that it makes it obviously fake. Um, and I'd say there's a lot of fakery around AI. Um, but the main thing is, uh, I mean, here Elon Musk is an example, is the, the constant promotion of the idea of AI, that it's possible, that it's necessary, that it's desirable, that it's inevitable. Uh, I mean, it's one of those funny things as well, because you could ask one person and they'd say, we're very far from AI. And you could ask another person and they'd say, we already have AI. So it's a moving target. Because you know, what exactly is AI? Uh, this is one of the questions I get to in the book. Uh, and briefly, my idea about AI is it's more of a landing pad for something that's discarnate. I don't think machines can actually ever become sentient. They can become functionally so, but we're already at that level, I'd say, more or less. The computers can pretty much run the world without us. But in terms of this, the mythical idea of an AI that really has consciousness, I don't. I think that that's uh, oxymoronic. It could never happen, except insofar as there are. Hopefully, this isn't too far from your area, Sean. But uh, into the metaphysical, discarnate intelligences that need some kind of uh, landing pad through the form, you know, form of te technology and whatnot. That that would be my thesis there. Papa Chubby wants to know if you're familiar with the movie Capricorn One. Well, I, I am. I saw it as a teenager, yeah, the fake Mars landing. Sure. I mean, I don't know what to say about it, really. I don't think we can uh, 
get we can get clues out of movies. Obviously, I'm doing that with Kubrickon. But in terms of trusting movies to give us guiding, you know, guidance out of this cultural uh, spell that we're under, it's never going to happen. But this is the problem. One of the problems I want to address with Kubrickon. Several viewers, including Gene and local shopkeeper, have asked, "Do you believe that Kubrick was murdered?" No, I don't. Uh, it's possible that he didn't die. I always leave a space for that because when big celebrities die, it always seems possible uh, that they just wanted to check out. I had a theory uh, in the early days that he'd faked his death so that he would get better reviews for Eyes Wide Shut. Gene wants to know how far was Kubrick involved with the global elite? Yeah, um, I would say pretty far. And this, I mean, this is one of the things I have to lay the groundwork within Kubrickon, which obviously we only have half an hour today. But for example, Project Mockingbird, uh, for those who don't know, Carl Bernstein wrote about it. So it's not particularly suppressed history, but the CIA involvement with time life and countless other publications in terms of um, well, just their involvement in culture and, and, and the gatekeepers, you know, intelligence agencies are gatekeepers. If they don't actually create publishing companies and film companies, they sure as hell infiltrate them and, and have people in positions of power. So if you attain high status and high power and influence in the film industry, you are de facto working for the government. That's my simple condensed view. As I say, the, the, the back one needs, if, one, if that's a new idea, one needs to do the background research, such as uh, Francis Stoner Saunders, the cultural Cold War about how the CIA uh, was involved with people like Jackson Pollock and founding the expressionist movement. Like intelligence agents are heavily involved, heavily invested in shaping culture. It's not just about politics, espionage and society. And you, one can do that just by logical deduction because, you know, what shapes people's behavior more? You know, is it political leaders or is it cultural figures of influence? It's clearly the latter because, you know, young people and teenagers aren't, aren't directly influenced by political um, you know, policies and so on, but they are massively shaped by culture. Right. Looks like we've run out of time here, Jason. Do you want to tell the viewers where they can find you, support you and get your book? Uh, sure. Well, hopefully there's a link, but my, my main site is landmademan.com and um, basically that leads to all, all other places. I can also... Um, if someone, anyone wants to email me, they can do that just directly, which is Jason with a U at protonmail.com. And uh, lastly, just to mention that really my, my interest and focus now, I said I'm not writing books hardly, um, is, is in group work and one-to-ones in, in applying this knowledge that's taken many decades to assemble and present. Uh, at a personal level, like how do we actually take out the implant of the organized malevolence? It's one thing to remove ourselves physically, but we have this internal programming. So that's most of the work that I do is one-to-ones and in groups. So uh, that that's why I do interviews essentially, is just to hopefully to reach a few souls out there who are looking for some guidance and support, because we are entering into some very 
uh, hot waters right now, as I'm sure you're covering on this show tonight. Indeed we are. Huge thank you for spending time with us. All of Jason's links are in the description box below this video. So please go down and support his work and you take care, my friend. Cheers. Thanks, Sean. Thank you.